This afternoon, I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 13. And we'll concern ourselves with verses 30 through 32. Oh, and now, you know, in your prayer request, uh, are you familiar with the church up in South Point, Ohio? South, no. South Point, South Sand Point, Idaho. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'm, the name of the church escaped me, but there's one of the men is a member of the church there. I, him and his family, I've become very close to. Uh, he thought he had cancer pretty much from top to bottom, and uh, he's went to Germany for some treatment. Came back here for a month. He's back in Germany for continue treatment and he did ask let people know that they can be praying for him his name is Chris Gibbons so uh, yeah, they, we met down at the conference in uh, Florida a few years ago and ever since then we've just been close and uh, I did want to bring to your attention alright John chapter 13 Again, I'm going to concern myself with uh, verses 30 through 32. So we'll just get right down to the matter at hand. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God should also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Our Father, this afternoon, may it be our desire to praise, glorify, and uplift the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he that has done all for us without our ability to recompense or to be reciprocal in any way. He even came to save us when we were enemies. Father, we can never thank you enough for your grace and your mercy of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. But may it be our thine desire that as we go through our life one day at a time may we go through it desiring to live a life that is honoring and thankful unto Christ thankful unto you for your great blessings your mercies your forbearance your eternal love which you have for us before the world began. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Again, you'll note there in verse 30, wherein it says, He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. The sop has significance in the fact that previously, the Lord was asked, who is it that is going to betray you? 
And the Lord said, He that I give the sop to after I dipped it, it's him. He's the one that's going to betray me. He dipped the sop. He gave it to Judas. And Judas immediately went out. And it was night. I have here in my notes, Judas has left the building. He has left the building, but not for any honorable or good reason. For he is now on his way to betray the only sinless man for the mere price of 30 pieces of silver. The Lord speaks of him as that one that raises heel against him, as he's prophesied to do. Judas, for no other reason than the motivation of the wicked one, actively sought out an opportunity to betray the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look back at the book of Matthew, chapter 26, and there, verse 15, you will find that this price was suitable for Judas. Matthew 26 and verse 15. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priest and said unto them, What will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. That was the price that the chief priests and the leaders of the people of Israel assessed as a value of the Son of God. God incarnate. They're so vile and they're so wicked that 30 pieces of silver was all he was worth. But they were gladly willing to pay that because in paying that they're going to get their ultimate desire we want this rabble rouser out of our existence think about that for a moment you know the Lord Jesus Christ because he made himself known to you but think about that one whose eyes have not yet been opened and all they see is someone that they despise and they want him gone. Are you not thankful that God gave you eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ? Someone that you would not give anything you had to keep 
and you get it for free. The Lord Jesus Christ was given to us freely. Not by debt, but by grace. Not by debt, but by gift. It pleased the Father to send His Son to provide for us all that is needful to give us a right standing before God. While Mark was preaching, I kept thinking, he kept saying, the standing, the standing. And Mark, I'm not adding a word to your message, but my mind kept going to reconcile, reconcile. My status is changed before God because of Christ. I'm reconciled. And yet we will so quickly, when our feelings get hurt, or we feel like we're not getting what we need, or we're not satisfied, we will so quickly set that reconciliation aside to satisfy our lust. We're pathetic creatures. And the more I get to know me, and I'm not going to do like the folks that know oh, you, 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 you didn't know me when I was 20 years old. But the more I know me, the more amazed I am that God saved me. And he knew my thoughts even before I know them. But yet he was still satisfied to save me. It might interest you to know that Joseph, the son of Jacob, was sold for 30 pieces of silver. There's a significance in that. When you two ought to study that and tell me about it. I'm, I'm going to task you two. When you two to do that. <laughs> study that 30 pieces of silver and get back with me. The Judas has left the building and was on his way to satisfy the obligation that he made, the agreement that he made with the chief priests and the rulers of Israel to betray the Lord of glory. Then Christ says, in verse, we find in verse 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him now is set in motion the fulfillment of all that the son of man came to this place and this time accomplish our Lord came here with a very definite a very precise purpose and Judas's betrayal was a part of that purpose was a part of that plan to me when I read this now is the son of man glorified it's like the Lord is saying okay now He's gone. 
let us now get on with the purpose and the plan that the Father has set for me to accomplish. Now, we're drawing this thing to a conclusion. If you would, turn your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, I want us to notice verse 31. Luke 18 and 31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Jerusalem is the place where all of this is going to be done. We're going to Jerusalem. And all the things that have been written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man, concerning He Himself, is going to be accomplished. It's going to be fulfilled. We're going to come to the crescendo. No accident. This is a foreordained plan of God. It was not an adjustment to God's strategy. The plan that God set forth in the person of Christ for the salvation of men was not done because God missed something. It was not done because he had to correct something. All of these things were all a part of God's prophesied and declared plan and purpose. Look at chapter 19 in the book of Luke and verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's a part of what he is coming to accomplish. That is a part of what he is coming to do. There's a part of what God has purposed him to get done. And I'd like you to notice something there in verse 10. And this is something that always amazes me for the son of man is come not if the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost when I think of lost I think of someone that is traveling from point A to point B but misses a turn off somewhere they nod off and they pass the exit or they've made a wrong turn and they're off the path. Ladies and gentlemen, when the word here speaks of lost, we were not lost. We were not knowing where we were going. 
That is not the purpose of the word lost here. Keep your finger here and look back at chapter 9 of the same book. Luke chapter 9 and there verse 56. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Be it known unto you this morning, or this afternoon, that lost is destroyed, and destroyed is lost. When the scripture speaks of Christ coming to this earth to seek and to save that which was lost, it is to seek and to save that which has been destroyed. We're not just off the track. We were destroyed. We were hopeless. We had nothing working for us. It was just a matter of being lost, and all we got to do is figure out, plug in our GPS, you know, you'll figure out, get the map out. It'll get you there. You know, we see the, you know, the world thinks this way. Well, now, if I just do this, and I don't do that, if I go here, and I don't go there, then I'll get there. If I do enough good works, I'll get there. I'm going to say something that every time I think about it is very disheartening. One of the last times my mother came to church before she got so ill she couldn't get up anymore. She was asked, what would you tell God? No, I want to get the question correct. What reason can you give for God to save you? And my heart sunk when I heard her answer. For the good things that I have done. I felt like you have failed as this woman's pastor for years. Because you could never get it through her head. It was not her works. It was not her good things. It was Christ. the world is geared that way we gotta work we're just lost let's find our way back develop a plan develop a procedure uh, get a manual made up that I guess where we want to go that's not how it's done we were destroyed that word destroyed and Luke 9.56 and that word lost in Luke 19 and 10 are the exact same word. Destroyed. I want you to realize you weren't just lost. We were destroyed. We lost everything. When our four parents disobeyed God and they fell, 
and they died. We died. From then on, blood had to be shed for them and for us. For them to have their bodies covered, God slayed animals and made them skins. They couldn't put their own clothes on. The, the, the aprons they built, they didn't do it. We cannot satisfy God with what we can do, with what we can say. We can't satisfy him that way. God is satisfied with one person and one person only. And everyone that is accepted by God is accepted through him. And that one is he that is declared to be the Son of Man. The Son of Man is an appropriate name for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is one that came here to this earth to do and to be and to accomplish what man could not. He is at, at one and the same time the Son of God and the Son of Man. Because in him as the Son of Man and the Son of God there is now unity between the two. That is the only way that we can be sitting here today talking about the things of God and man's salvation is because in the person of Christ there is unity for us. He's called our mediator. One mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ. That's the son of man. No one else can take that title. He speaks to himself as the Son of Man. Because that's who he is. Let's look at the degree to which he is the Son of Man. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews 2, I like for us to begin our reading at verse 12. I'll read down to it, including. Verse 18. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. Who is this we're talking about? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. That one who became partaker of the flesh for us. He became flesh for us. And delivered them who through fear of death 
were all their lives subject to bondage. For verily, he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be the merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Note those last two verses. It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a, be a merciful, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Christ made reconciliation. He did everything that pertained to God for us to be reconciled. That's what the Son of Man did. I can't imagine in my little feeble mind to think how the creator of heaven and earth said, I will take upon me the form of a man. I will be a baby. I'll be born like everyone else. I will grow up like everyone else. I will get tired like everyone else. I will be just like every other man, woman, and child on the face of the earth. And I'll be subject to those powers and those authorities. I'll be tempted like them. I will suffer like them. But the difference between me and them is I don't have a sin nature. Therefore, I can live in a world just like they live in every single day but yet without sin verse 18 should be a verse of utmost confidence, comfort for in, in that he himself hath suffered being tempted he is able to succor them that are We have not a high priest. We have not a savior. We have not a mediator that does not know what it feels like to be a man walking on the face of this sphere that we call planet Earth. And all the trappings, all the harsh, all the harshness, all the evil that's around us. He went so far as to be tempted personally, individually, one-on-one, -on -one by Satan himself. And he came out of that temptation victorious. He did we can't. That title of the Son of Man is indeed a glorious title. But the Son of Man also came here to suffer 
I've alluded to that a couple of times just in the last few minutes. But he came here to suffer. He who knew no sin became sin. I'm going back to Luke chapter 9 for just a moment. And there I want to consider verse 22. Luke 9 and 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. This he had to endure. This he had to accomplish. This he came for. Hebrews 12 and 2, just to read in part. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He had to accomplish and endure the misery and the torture on the cross. And the word despising the shame means he did not give that shame any consideration. I despise shame. My ego hurts when I'm made ashamed. When I see myself or I am ridiculed. Or if I go out and for some reason I put on one blue shoe and one red shoe. I'm ashamed. How did you do that? But here our Lord counted what he had to endure on the cross at Calvary as something that he accounted a very little the shame of it he became sin and he willingly did it he willingly became sin he willingly became like us to suffer the cross on Calvary and he was not ashamed he was glad who for the joy set before you. Can you say you'd, be, you'd enjoy being nailed to a tree? Having the hair of your face plucked out? Being beat and marred with any other man? You kind of joy. Our Lord wasn't forced to do this. He willingly did it. Suffered on our behalf. In the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 27 and 28. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. 
Should not the Son of Man be glorified? He most certainly should. And it might interest you to know that that word glorified is that tense that is, as I understand it, past, present, and future at all times. Our Lord was always worthy of honor and glory because of his obedience unto his Father on our behalf for us. Not one thing did Christ do to atone for himself. The high priest had to first make an atonement for his sin. Then he was able to go in and atone for the sins of the people. Christ never had to atone for anything. He did the atonement for us. As the son of man. He made the atonement for us. Do you remember a few years ago, Louis Farrakhan declared this thing for atonement, where people, men, are to, to atone for what they've done? Well, we can't atone for much of anything. Louis Farrakhan missed the boat. He wanted to talk about atoning. He ignored the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of our energies, all of our efforts, as it pertains to life and our relationship with other people, really should center around them and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what they need. That's what we needed. You know, the Apostle Paul said he was a debtor to the Jews, or to the Greeks, to the barbarians. He was a debtor because he owed them the gospel. That was his purpose. Preach Christ and Him crucified. That's what we preach to every living creature. Go ye into the world. That's what we're supposed to do. And tell them what? About the Son of Man. Who took off His garbs of royalty and honor and divinity. And took on flesh. Like this. That he might mediate. Between God. And sinful man. And bring them together. That there can be oneness. That there can be harmony. That they can be accepted by the father. No one's accepted by the father. But through the son. You cannot ignore the Son. 
and love the Father. You cannot love the Father and ignore the Son. We need to let this be known. Lastly, it brings to a close this afternoon. Look at verse 32 of John chapter 13. If God be glorified in him, and that him is Christ, God shall also glorify him in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. In fact, actually, I don't want to quit with that. I want the second part of verse 31. And God is glorified in him. God is glorified in Christ. How? How about John 3.16? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did that. God gave Christ for that purpose. Should not God be glorified? Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3 speaks of an everlasting love. Therefore have I drawn thee. Should not God be glorified? 1 John 4 and 19 We loved him because he first loved us. Should not God be glorified? Should not God be glorified, honored, and praised because he sent his son? He worked out the plan to satisfy himself and said, I will send mine only begotten son to accomplish this task. And the son is glorified. He said, Father, I'll go. Send me. I will endure it. The Son of Man is to be glorified. He is to be praised. He is to be honored. Now verse 32. If God be glorified in him, he shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. The Lord Jesus Christ had a glory. You won't turn there, but in John 17 and verse 5, it speaks of the glory that the Son had with the Father before. He had glory. He had a glorious position. He set it aside. But in John 17, he prays, Father, restore that glory. It was once mine. I set it down. I took it off. Restore it to me. I'm visiting John chapter 14. It might be 10. Where Christ speaks of the fact that he was given a promise of the Father before he came to take up his life again. 
It was never intended for him to stay here on this earth as he came. It was never intended for him to stay in the grave. Like David, somewhere today, David is still laying in a grave. We don't know where Moses is, but Moses somewhere today is laying in a grave that God placed Moses in. Everyone that's been, that has lived on this earth and died is still here. But not the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father gave him a promise to take up his life again. As we draw to a close, turn your Bible to the book of Psalms, the 110th Psalm. Psalms 110. I just want to read one verse. But we're going to see that verse reappear two other times at least when we get to the New Testament. Psalm 110 and verse 1. The Lord says unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Mark, not that Mark, another Mark. Mark chapter 12 and verse 36. Mark refers to Psalm 110 and verse 1. Mark 12 and 36. For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, the Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Did you notice who David said that by? David himself said by the Holy Ghost. And I only mention that to attest to the fact that what the Old Testament speaks it speaks of those men who were moved by the Holy Spirit to write what the Father declared he wanted to be written down. What we have here is what the Spirit of God wrote David, moved David, Elijah, or Isaiah, Mark, Matthew, Luke, Paul, John, they were all moved by the Holy Spirit to write the things that they've written that we can sit down in a city like this and read be enlightened be encouraged be convicted a word that's always been true always will be true and ours will be trustworthy. Paul speaks the same thing as far as the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 1, 13 and 14. But to which the angels said he, said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits? Send forth the minister 
for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Christ was glorified by the Father and Himself. The Father has glorified the Son. And in one place he says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The Father's not through glorifying the Son. The Son of Man. Our Redeemer, our Mediator, is due great honor and great glory. Two more places in the scriptures I want to go to. Philippians 2 and verse 9. Wherefore God hath exalted him highly, I'm sorry, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and of things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. God exalted him, gave him a name that's above all other names. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord by God's determination and God's choosing. To the glory of God. Lastly, the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Revelation 5, I want to look at verses 6 through 13. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, out of the four beasts, and in the midst of its elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns seven eyes which are the spirits the seven spirits of God sent forth into the earth and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat up on the throne and he had taken the book the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests, that we shall reign on earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the numbers of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature, 
which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard and I heard I saying blessed are blessings and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. The Father and the Son are to be glorified. We are to glorify. We are to honor. And as Brother Mark said this morning, we cannot consider ourselves faithful thankful children unto God if we take the gift of the lamb that was slain was buried raised again as a license for sin that's not our prerogative there's no honor there's no praise there's no glory in that mindset or that lifestyle. 